What is up, DNVR family? I This is Adam Mades here. And before we get started, I want to tell you about our latest sponsor, Manscaped. I'm so excited for this. I'm going to read some of the bullet points it has here. Ball is life. I'm not kidding. That's, that's the opener line here. Ball is life. Manscaped is here to assist you when it's time to hit your game winner. I can't even say that part with a straight face. But I actually do love this because I just got a box, a shipment in from Manscaped. I got the new Lawnmower 3.0 and giving it a whirl. And it is the best in men's below the belt grooming. They have all the right tools, and I'm telling you, this thing is incredible. And I know this is funny. I know some people are listening, thinking, okay, this is a funny thing. But I'm telling you, a lot of people have reached out and asked, how do we support DNVR during this time? We know the bar is closed. We know that sports are, are off right now. What can we do? The number one, and I'm not even joking here, the number one thing you can do is order the new Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped and give it a try. For number one, if you've been thinking about doing this, you know, if you've heard the ads around and maybe you've heard of this product and you wanted to give it a try, now is the time to do it. You have an excuse. You can feel good about doing it because this is a partner that can really help support us over the next couple months as we try to get through, as everybody will be, trying to get through this, this hectic, uh, crazy time. But I'm telling you, we just got gift packages, all of us at DNVR, with a lawnmower and a bunch of other products like a, I'm not kidding, uh, the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant for your balls. I'm not making this up. The Crop Reviver, a spray-on ball toner and refresher made to give you a little pep in your step with aloe. Uh, It's actually incredible. I'm joking. I'm kind of giggling about this, but it actually has been uh, a really, really cool product that I highly recommend you check it out. So if you are considering, you know, if that was something that maybe interests you and you were considering getting one, I highly encourage you because this is a big sponsorship for us and we'd love to keep them going all spring, all summer long. Get 20% off and free shipping if you use uh, promo code DNVR20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Joel, what's happening? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, man. You're, uh, you're, oh, there, there, your volume goes down a little bit. Say something again. Okay, here you go. Yeah, every time you talk, it sounds like, for whatever reason, I don't know what setting you have, but your microphone shoots through the roof. Oh, really? Let me see. Yeah, like I said in the uh, Skype DM, I'm a tech dummy here, so. So am I. We're too old for this stuff, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know it? (laughs) It's true. All these youngins come in. And now we have TikTok. I don't know what to make of it. I think for whatever reason you I've you've never even tried to use TikTok yet. You well, I've only because I know at DNVR we're gonna try to start doing it. So um I've right. gotten on and I swear I've seen the same dance. That's the only I like I can't even you know you're you know you're old and washed when you can't even figure out the interface. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't yeah. figure out how to go forward, backwards, click on things. I just I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I didn't even get as far as Instagram, to tell you the truth. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have it, but I never use it. So, I, everybody, welcome in. I don't even know if you realize this, Joel, but we are recording, so this is actually <laughs> the, the intro into the show. Um, oh, is it really? Not? It is. Sorry, it is. I like to do a natural whenever I can surprise people with the, as long as you did, you know, of course, if you said something crazy, I could have edited it out. But um, no, welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. Um, have, have you ever had Illegal Pete's? When was the last time you were in Colorado? Uh, the last time I was in Colorado was last summer, but I quit drinking about four years ago. So uh, 
Well, Legal Pete's has I, burritos and, you know, food. I was discussing this with, uh, I believe it's Mitchell Carroll on Twitter, who oh, yeah. uh, has been working there. Yeah. I believe. Uh, so I, I think I just missed Illegal Pete's, like when I lived in Boulder, which was two years before I came to Japan, which was in 1996. So maybe 1995, they opened up their first shop in Boulder. Man, so you, uh, you've spent a lot of time then in Japan. Yeah, it'll. I was 24 when I came here, and I'll be turning 48 this month, so it'll be half my life. Wow, uh, that, that's wild. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, I know this is like a big life question, so if I'm prying, like going <laughs> right in, but do you think, like, I mean, is Japan now home? Do you think that's like just kind of where you'll be, or do you think maybe one day you'll return to, to the States? Uh, my wife and I are open to possibilities, but Japan has definitely become home for me now. Um, but, you know, I still like going to my other home, Colorado, uh, back yeah. in the summers, and uh, it's great to go back. So I feel at home in both places. Uh, I like both places. Yeah. I should announce who I'm talking to right now is none other than Joel Rush, who I would call an OG in the uh, Denver blog game. I mean, I don't even know if we call what we do blogging anymore. Um, but you are certainly an OG, now writing, of course, for Forbes Sports. I think a lot of people have... Uh, you know, followed your work from the different places round. You're a round ball mining. I think when I started, is that right? Yeah. And actually pickaxe and roll originally, and then it changed <laughs> to round ball. Uh, so it was basically Jeremy Wagner picked me up there, uh, when he was still doing, he was one of the original, uh, film study kind of guys. Yeah. Um, his work was so great and I felt, you know, lucky to be kind of tapped by him to do that. But, uh, yeah, then it changed to round ball then I kind of took a break for a while, and then uh, I was at BSN, actually, for one year. Right. Um, before it blew up. <laughs> um, so what era – so did you take a break when basically the Nuggets take a break? I mean, was it 2013 to 15-ish? Was that when you were off? When you were not, not really writing? Yeah, it was kind of when – you know, after the Carl firing and uh, – I tried to stick with it through that next season, but it just got kind of depressing, right. actually. Uh, and, you know, my interest in doing it just kind of waned off a bit. But, um, yeah, you know, and I, I continued with it nominally on my own kind yeah. of crappy, bro- crappy blog. But, uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, then, um, you know, things started getting a bit more interesting as, you know, especially through the Shaw firing and yeah. the Malone hiring and all that. So uh, it kind of... I mean, I never stopped being a fan through all that, but just what, writing about it was less fun. <laughs> what percentage of games would you say you have um, watched over the years? I mean, what, what, what are you catching every single game? Because I should say, yeah, obviously he's in Japan. Are you in Tokyo? I'm in Yokohama, which is, okay. you know, basically like Boulder to Denver um, okay. in terms of distance. Uh, I, you know, I would say over the past... Probably about eight-ish seasons I've watched nearly every Nuggets game. Um, you know, not all live. Mostly, actually, not live. Yeah, I always see you working. doing that, the tape delay. How does that work? You just, like, stay off of all social medias and then just watch it at your own leisure? Yeah, sometimes. You know, if, if it's you know, if they're playing, you know, a not very great team, then I might just watch the score because yeah. I don't care. But, you know, if it's a kind of higher-stakes game or one that, looks more competitive then i might try to avoid the score and kind of quote unquote live blog it uh after the fact 
Those are some of my favorites because sometimes it'll be like an epic Nuggets collapse. And I'll see you <laughs> tweeting the live thing, and I'll be like, oh, God. Oh, no. And he'll, you'll be like, oh, Nuggets playing great. What a fun game. This is incredible. I'm like, oh, no. Poor Joel lives in a oh, – he had no idea what's coming. But the comebacks are great, you know. And it <laughs> – yeah. you know, it, it's just so much more fun to watch when you don't know what the result's going to be. Um, totally. So it's, it's worth it to me even to take those losses because uh, <laughs> on the aggregate, it's definitely more fun that way. What is the state of basketball fanhood like in, in Japan? Growing. Uh, Rui Hachimura getting drafted was a huge boost. Mm. And I've actually written a little bit about this for Forbes because um, I've had some contact with NBA and Rakuten. Rakuten became the NBA's partner company at the beginning of this season. Okay. And they actually started getting involved the season before when, like, Western Union is for the Nuggets, the right. sponsor that's on the jersey. Rakuten became the... And Rakuten is like Amazon here in Japan, okay. basically. Um, and they became the sponsor for the Golden State Warriors, connecting with, like, bringing Steph Curry over for some events and things like that. So, uh, basically, with the Rakuten partnership and the drafting of Rui Hachimura, it's starting to gain some steam. Um, but... Michael Jordan was the end-all, be-all for the NBA here, and after he retired, it just kind of fell off a cliff. Mm. People don't remember. Like, like, people are, we're old. We're old enough to kind of like bridge the gap between that, but people don't realize. It's funny when I talk to even like Brendan Vogt, you know, my good friend, and you know, 26 years old, and I'm like, he'll be like, yeah, what was Jordan like? And I'm always just like, yeah, that's right. I forgot that the whole generation of people don't, don't have any point of reference for just how popular this dude was, how good he was, how charismatic he was. Like the whole pack. I mean, he really was the whole package in terms of a superstar. Yeah, it's, you know, I ask my Japanese students here who most of them are adults in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, actually. Um, a lot of retirees and people like that. I ask them, have you ever heard the name LeBron James? Have you ever heard the name James Harden? They have no idea, uh, wow. but everybody knows Michael Jordan. Wow. Um, he's like, in terms of name recognition, he's like Muhammad Ali. You know, he's yeah. global, um, and just his fame and popularity was just transcendent in a way that nobody since him, or even before him, ever reached. I think. Oh yeah, not I don't even think even, even Magic. Yeah, um, not even close. I don't think, and it was. I think it was a con. Like, let's talk about Jordan for a while because there's, you know, this ESPN sitting on this ten part documentary on the Bulls, the '90s. I think it's the. I don't. I don't know if it's like the entire Bulls era, or if it's just '96. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't actually seen about that. No. So, in well, the whole thing was it was going to drop in like late June, July, like right after the finals. And now there's some rumors that ESPN is going to push it up because, you know, everybody obviously is quarantined at home at the moment. Um, and so they might push it up. And I just I am actually so excited. Like If that drops, I'm dropping everything to check this out because it's just going to be so exciting. But um, the thing about Jordan was my belief, my opinion is that the NBA of the 80s and 90s is, was not at the level that it is now. There was some beautiful basketball, like it was laying a foundation or whatever. But it would be like if you just took the best athlete and gave him the most talent and then made him the most like just charismatic, good looking, you know, interesting person. And like it was just the whole combination of things. And it was just a tour de force. And so when he's out there as a 24 year old dropping seven, 60, 69 points or whatever on the best defense in the NBA, it's just like, wow, this thing, this is absolutely incredible. 
And I want a whole generation of fans to get to see that and like kind of be like, oh, wow, that that is kind of unique. And I think a lot of people also kind of forget that he started in the 80s, you know? Right. Like everyone associates him with the mid 90s because that's when all the uh, Bulls championships happened. But, you know, his popularity surged like long before that. And, you know, he was just also I think part of his uh, appeal was just he really kind of kept himself a blank slate, you know, that anybody could kind of imprint whatever they liked about him onto him. Like, oh, sure. For example, yeah. you know, the NBA players today and to their credit, I would say, are much more outspoken politically and, right, uh, yeah. you know, involved in social, you know, community activities and things like that. Not, not Which is not to say that Jordan wasn't, but, you know, he pretty much played his cards on that level close to the best and, uh, you know, so he could be in something like Space Jam yeah. with zero controversy. You, you wouldn't have, I mean, Fox News didn't exist at the time, but you wouldn't have people criticizing him for his political views or anything like that. So he was just, he, his appeal was universal in a sense. And it was, he was also the first of a kind. So obviously no social media, you know, there's interesting stories in, in, um, uh, the Jordan rules about like how somebody would say something bad about him, and then they'd get kicked out of the beat. Basically, like he would, he had the power to be like, okay, well, don't bring that person into the locker room ever again, and it would happen. Um, but he's also the first, you know, like Gatorade and Nike, and there were sponsorships before that, but never like that where it was like, this is all of our money is going into this guy, all of our chips, like this is the dude, and and it obviously worked the way that it did. So, um, yeah, it was just Jordan is so fascinating, and I think in a weird way you know with the state of of where we are right now with LeBron in Los Angeles and the Kobe thing and all of that I think introducing Jordan to this this generation is going to be I'm I'm so curious to see what the response is to all these 25 year olds that don't really have any context for Michael Yeah I'll be looking forward to that too and you know he he was really the first brand like yeah. we we say the phrase the Jordan brand now without a second thought but right. like Yeah Speaking of Nike his partnership with them I mean that changed, that revolutionized all of basketball, really. Um, yeah. It's so funny. If you go back and look at the salaries those guys were making in the 90s yeah. <laughs> compared to now, and, and, you know, as a percentage of the GDP or whatever, like, the players have just gotten so much stronger in terms of their uh, bargaining power. And, you know, again, to their credit, um, it's good for them and good for, I think, the league as well. But uh, it's just crazy, you know, how much more money they're making now. I think I'm, – I'm trying to pull this up as we talk, but I'm going to go look at the 98 Bulls' salary sheet. I just got it here in front of me. So um, you had five players making under a million dollars. You had the next eight, nine players or eight players making – actually, I should say you had five players under a million, five players right at a million, and then another four players at between two and five million. Michael made $33 million. <laughs> Like he made almost seven times as much as the second highest played player, which was Ron Harper. Just imagine wow. today if if LeBron made six times more than everybody else on the team. It's I don't think we have great context for how how different the league was back then, and just how absurd it was that he was getting paid so much. Yeah, and I think uh, you know again it's to the credit of players like LeBron who and Chris Paul, I think, who have used their superstardom to get better situations for the guys at the lower rungs of the ladder. So yeah. kudos to them for that. To- totally. There's just so much more security for those guys now. 
Yeah. Um, we'll take a, a quick break here. I'm going to talk about the Hop, Hot Pink IPA, as Harrison calls it. The Hop Peak IPA, as it's actually known uh, here from Breck Brewery. Um, you said you, you do not drink. Is that right, Joel? Not anymore. I was a big beer drinker when I uh, was drinking, though. And I, you know, I would still love it if I could. I, I have diabetes, so I stopped oh, gotcha. Reasons, but, oh, um, gotcha. Gotcha. The Hot Peak IPA, not going to lie, not my favorite one because I'm not an IPA guy, which I think means I'm not a beer guy. I think beer guys like IPA is the beer you drink if you're a beer person. And so I am definitively not a, like a, 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 a beer connoisseur. Um, I loved it. You, <laughs> you love the IPA? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you were a beer drinker, like you have class and taste, and and I do not. <laughs> I eat hot pockets and light beers. Uh, no, Preg, uh, but the Hot Peak IPA, one of their flagship beers, uh, been around for quite a while. Obvi- obviously, uh, also the Strawberry Sky. All these beers, by the way, going to be in the DNVR bar at some point. Shit, single tear rolling down my cheek. At some point, these will all be on tap. Also, want to tell you about In We Go. Another, it's funny going through these sponsors, guys. I highly encourage you. A lot of people have asked me, how can we support DNVR right now? You know, the bars closed. There's no sports. What can we do? One of the best things you can do. You know, a lot of sponsors are going to be evaluating, okay, where's the market at, where's this and that. You can support our sponsors and let them know, especially on social media. Tag them and say, hey, drinking a Breck Brew in honor of DNVR or whatever. You quarantined, but I got my Breck Brew. A lot of people have done that. That lets the sponsors know, like, hey, as you kind of decide what your your plans are, we stick with DNVR, support them. And that goes double for In We Go because In We Go is such an incredible product, such an incredible um, you know app that allows you to get tickets to an event. It's like a, a subscription where um, events pop up on In We Go's app and you can pick which ones you want to go to for like a monthly fee. But of course, events are on hold because life is on hold right now and there's nothing going on. So maybe you're not going to download the In We Go app right away, but keep it in mind because once life gets back to normal, it's a really, really cool app. And if you're a person that likes the city of Denver and wants to go out and see and maybe be introduced to new cultural events and different things, check out the In We Go app. And of course, use the promo code DNVR so that they know who sent you. Okay, um, let's talk about this this season and sort of the state that we're in. First of all, can, can I jump in with one thing real absolutely. quick before you do, just because it connects to your ad right there? Sure. Um, I just thought it was so cool that you guys opened that bar. I and appreciate it. I I feel so bad for you guys with the timing of you know that happening right as people are starting to self quarantine and all of that. Um, but I did notice that you guys are also doing. Uh, selling takeout or well no, unfortunately no oh, um no. no unfortunately no i mean the bar the whole bar and restaurant industry right now i think is just trying to figure out. i mean every bar in colorado today was this is the last day they're going to be open then tomorrow all bars and re- not just bars but restaurants too are going to be closed down oh, Other, the whole state now i had seen the city of denver and city of i'm sorry city of denver city of denver oh, okay. so um yeah i misspoke but um in ours, I think doesn't just doesn't make sense. It's not like a a, a big takeout spot, you know. So I, d- I don't know that it necessarily made sense, but um, <laughs> but yeah, the timing is absolutely ridiculous. So it's, it's so funny, Joel, because you know, um, you know, so much of what we do takes so much careful planning and, and months of planning and like you know laying out long term visions. And this was one of those ones where it's like, okay, let's dot all of our eyes, cross all of our t's, like what. Let's make our plan and check it 12 different ways and get all this different advice. It's like, okay, I think we are fully ready for all the risks, for all of this. And then, of course, some risk that was never even something you couldn't even think of. You couldn't even create in a bad movie comes out of nowhere. And it's just like, wow. 
So just blindsided. Some part of me, you know, is obviously spent a lot of the last few days just sort of, you know, distraught. And and for, I think a lot of people, not not just us, but a lot of people that are sort of in our industry, just kind of like, okay, well, what do we do now? But then there's another part of me that just goes like, this is almost hilarious. <laughs> Like, this is almost funny how how much work and effort we put into it, and this thing that we could have never dreamed of has just come and like wrecked it. <laughs> but you know, you know, there will be brighter days ahead, and and we have such a, a good resilient group. DNVR is a bunch of underdogs, and um, it felt weird not being an underdog for like two days. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know the the timing couldn't have been better on paper. I mean, gearing up right for the NBA playoffs and. You know, March it looked Madness. like you'd be rolling right into it, but uh, yeah. But you know, I, just in the general spirit of that, I would say, you know, people will be ordering things for delivery, or people still have to get food. Um, right. I think if people are looking for ways to support local businesses and their employees through this time, I think trying to seek out, you know, maybe buy another extra T-shirt from D-Line or. For sure. You know, choose, choose your shops carefully where you're ordering food from. Uh, you can be, you know, hopefully positively impacting your community if possible. I appreciate that that, that note very much. Um, you know, I've told people we're not going to, on the show, dwell on the coronavirus, you know, day after day after day. But I do feel like, you know, it's still new enough that I want to spend at least a little bit of time on it. And, you know, Japan was obviously ahead of the U.S. just in terms of uh, of how it went. How how has it affected daily life uh, where you are? You know, it's interesting because it hit here first geographically. You know, I think the proximity to China yeah. mattered there. Um, and the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe he shut down all the public schools from the beginning of March. So that type of closure started happening faster. But restaurants and stuff are still open. You know, it's um, it's kind of a middle ground in terms of the self-quarantining. Uh, you know, mm. more people are trying to stay home. Everybody wears masks. Mm. But that was already kind of in the culture here. Um, mm. So that was an easy transition for most people. But um, it's, You mean in the culture as in if you had a cold, it was just kind of assumed that you would wear a mask that day? Right. And also, this is like a peak allergy season for people with uh, uh, an allergy to cedar pollen. So okay. most of those people wear masks every year around this time, uh, okay. including my wife, Yumishi, who uh, unfortunately has bad allergies. But mm. it's a huge percentage of the population who has those allergies. So uh, yeah. wearing the mask actually filters out the pollen and it helps. Um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, we, we had our wave of panic shopping about two weeks ago. Okay. You know, where all the toilet paper went missing and right. all of that. And now things have kind of recalibrated. You know, masks are still hard to get, but I, I think probably you can be looking forward to, you know, over the next few days and weeks in the U.S., uh, things kind of finding a new normal yeah. balance and uh, people kind of starting to get used to it and you know, the supply chains kind of catching up with the panic shopping and all of that. So, you know, it gets scary at first and people freak out. But, you know, if you see video of like war torn countries and in the background, you see kids laughing and playing. Life goes you know, on. Everybody just you can't live in a constant state of panic. <laughs> right. It's just not nature. And uh, everybody will kind of readjust and 
you know, now we live in a world where that exists, but you know, there's always a background level of risk in life. Yeah. You get in a car. <laughs> it's sure. You know, and we, we just learn to accept that and we will with this as well. It's interesting because I think everybody, and this is one of those things where in these moments, people, you kind of realize that everybody's going through the same experiences. I think this is true of all the time. Like if you whittle it down to its core, like everybody's going through moments of, of grief and joy and loneliness and connectedness or whatever. And this is one of those heightened experiences where you kind of sit back and you're like, you know, this feeling I'm feeling everybody's feeling the same, the same thing right now. Like everybody kind of has a mixture of like worry and fear, but also just, you know, bum, you know, being bummed. But, um, there is something I think almost cathartic just about knowing like, okay, you know, oftentimes in these moments you really connect with people even harder and, and even deeper. And so, um, you know, there, there are, I think turning for me at least, and maybe I'm, I feel like I'm a few days ahead of most people just in terms of like mentally where, where I'm at, but um, for me, I'm certainly starting to turn that corner a little bit and, and, and seeing like, okay, let's see how everybody collectively responds. Cause whether people know it or not, we're kind of all in this together at this point. So, um, we'll see. Yeah, how. This is probably the, maybe in human history, the biggest global shared human experience. Ever, mm. Yeah. Where like the number of people who are experiencing the same anxiety and fear and worry and hope and concern. Yeah. around the world is you know almost everyone's pretty much on the same page now yeah uh, totally totally um let's talk about the nuggets now um something yeah. something happier although maybe in it uh, we just did on dnvr today we asked we're going to do a question every single day on dnvr for subscribers we're going to do a round table ask one question and look this might have, this might who knows when we're going to be talking about actual basketball so for now we get to kind of be abstract a little bit but this first question was you know how would you grade if this is the end of the season it doesn't come back. There is no playoffs. There's no resolution. And this is it's weird territory to go into to try to analyze a season that didn't end. But if if that was the end and it ended abruptly, what grade would you, Joel, give the Denver Nuggets this season? If it ended right now, I think I would have to give it like a C plus mm. at best. Yeah. But I, I would have to put an asterisk on that and say if it continues through the playoffs. I believe that the grade would end up better. Yeah. You know, I, I think we were taking a clear <laughs> dip after the all-star break there. And I don't think that was going to get cemented and, you know, things would have taken an upturn. Right. Um, and, and maybe still will if they resume. But, you know, I, I think by nearly every objective measure, the performance of this team was worse this season than last season. Or maybe and, on par with it, which is in itself sort of bad since you need to be moving forward. Because I think they were on pace for the same number of wins. Yeah, but if you look at like individual performances, mm. except for Will Barton, possibly Paul Millsap, but I mean, he who's playing ball, better though. this year than they did last season? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I think Jokic at his best was, but I think t- what you you have a real point here in that his fir- we we can't just dust under the rug those that first month or whatever it was. As much as I think he played well and had those game winners at moments, I mean, and he was shaky since All Star too. And then from All Star, he went into another little funk. So, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. Although I, I would say and, and, I think his peak was higher though. Yeah, uh, that that whole January thing was pretty amazing and including michael porter there too um you know which that that's part of my c plus there like i think 
if we had seen this team, and if we do see this team carry through the playoffs, I think we will see Michael Porter, you know, kind of re <clears throat> regain some ground and uh, get his feet back under him. And the the player who he was in January, I think, is the player who he's becoming. Oh, I think but so too. There's no doubt right about it. That's what to me the month of. It's funny if you broke down rather than seasons, you just kind of broke down months. This January and last January were probably the two most entertaining outside of the playoffs. The playoffs were a lot of fun, but the two Januaries to me were the saviors of both seasons. Like there were good highs and lows around, but both Januaries were where I was like, man, this is fun again. This is exciting. Two, some two Januaries ago, it was Jamal Murray and Jokic developing that two man game. This year was Michael Porter and, and Jokic sort of trading the spotlight. It felt like in some game, I mean, Michael Porter, I think it was two or three games where I was kind of like, they don't win that without him. He he won the game for him in that one. So that was a lot of fun. But as you mentioned, it was one month. And I, I think it can't go without saying that both of those happened with, you know, some extended injury absences, which, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily puts the blame or credit on any individual players. But I think that might point to a need to, Downscale the prioritization of uh, continuity mm. this offseason. Whenever this offseason happens, like, yeah. just something about this team this season just hasn't clicked in the same way that it should, you know? Right. Um, and that seems to kind of happen more when everybody's healthy, too. Right. Which is weird. It should be the opposite. Um, so, and, you know, again, it doesn't, it kind of almost doesn't matter who's injured, but. For some reason, when they're down a player or two, they seem to gel a little bit better. I wonder how much of that has to do with Jokic. Just everybody knows he's the best player. He's the most important one, but he just isn't like the vocal guy. And I wonder if it's easier if you have a guy that is just willing and and also able. It's not just willing. It's also like having the tact to be like, you, you know, if it's Jamal or Will or whoever or Paul, like, hey, man, we need you to step back right now. You're stepping up a little too much or, hey, this is what we need to do or whatever it is. And Jokic, for all of the things that he has great about him, that's the one piece that I still think is a little bit missing. And I wonder if that's what it is. But also, you're right. There is something to be said for it's easy when you have a distinct pecking order. This guy's number one. This guy's number two. And everybody else is everybody else. And the Nuggets just don't quite have that as much. I wonder, Joel... The NBA right now is a player's league. It always has been, but it's like really a player agency league. And I I think Denver has looked at the landscape and said, we're never going to be that team. So we need to be the continuity and depth team. And now after four, basically I would call this four years, you kind of look at it and go, man, continuity and depth does have a little bit of a drawback. And, and I wonder if, if to your point, if the front office sees it the way you do, of like, okay, maybe we can't go all in on continuity. Maybe there is something to bringing in new blood, even even important players, you know, starters maybe even. Yeah, I'll be really surprised if both Gary Harris and Will Barton are on the roster whenever next season starts. I think mm. some kind of shakeup will just have to be in the mix there. Um, for one thing probably to clear room for uh, Michael Porter. Yeah. Who is an eventual starter on this team, I believe. Um, Do you feel like you have enough information to know that he, I mean, like if you gun to your head, do you think he starts next season? I mean, it's it's so, this is so many variables here, but let's just assume next season begins in October. Do you think he's the starter on day one? I don't think Michael Malone would say so. Yeah. Well, 
I think I think we'd see another quote unquote uh, competition for the small forward position. Um, yeah. I, you know, I see Malone's side of the Michael Porter situation, and I think there is some credibility to you know bringing him in slowly, not putting too much pressure on him. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think just the potential for his upside there is just. You, you need to give that wings and just let, you know, find out what's going to happen there. Um, and at this point, you know, Will Barton has just been amazing this season. So it's a real dilemma mm-hmm. because arguably I would say he's the second best player after Jokic this entire season. Certainly early on, certainly that first yeah. like three months, I would say all the way up till the new year. It was and actually really till whenever the end of January, because when everybody got hurt, it was really Jokic, Barton, and MPJ that were kind of carrying the team. Yeah, so it's really hard to make a, you know, kind of objective case given the fact that Porter has really only had one good month. Right. Um, that he deserves to start over Barton, especially when the team is trying to be competitive for the playoffs and all of that. But, um, you know, I would say if both Barton and Harris are on the team still, and I, I don't think they'll trade Jamal Murray. Um for various reasons, but um, if all three of them are still on the team, I don't see that there's any reason to believe that it would be automatic that Porter starts for sure. Yeah, and maybe even unlikely. I put so today in my grades. It was one of the things I talked about was whatever happened this year. I just felt like you needed to get through a certain stage of Michael Porter's development that I don't think Denver got through, and that stage is. The, the whole rookie year is sort of an experiment of like, okay, this guy's going to fail a lot. It's going to cost some wins, but we got it. You, you just have to go through those motions in order to get past that part. And then if you don't get past of it, that's great detail for you to know going forward. Like, okay, this isn't a guy we can count on to be the second best player or third best player or whatever. And I just don't know that we know that. So to your point, it's entirely possible in my opinion, because I think Michael Porter Jr. is an incredible talent. It is incredibly – it is – very possible that he could come into the season next year as the second best player on day one of training camp, but it would be weird because he hasn't proved it in the season. So if he dominates training camp, does he get the spot? Does he still have to go through these motions? Is there weirdness? I mean, there's a lot of that stuff there that I just feel like you needed to answer those questions and, and, and Denver did not. Yeah. They might not get the chance to be able to. Um, yeah. I'm not sure they were going to be able uh, to either way though. Yeah, but at least they would have a little bit more data. Yeah. You know, I mean, the playoffs matter, and playoff yeah. performance oh, matters. Yeah. Um, and as we saw with Barton and Craig last year, you know, I think Tory Craig was more highly valued by the organization and by Malone specifically because of his playoff performance last year. And the fact that there even was a competition at the small forward spot was because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Imagine if Michael Porter, even in, say, 15, 20 minutes a game, if he was just a microwave scorer and he was out there making a real impact in the playoffs, you know, that puts him in a much higher standing or probability of becoming a starter than he is right now. No doubt about it. Yeah, that's that, that, that's a really good point. Man, this is crazy. I hope the league can come back. It would be really weird if the league comes back in June, as they've kind of talked about, and then goes through till August. I mean, I guess maybe we can talk about this on the other side, but 
maybe that would be a change that would change the league, not just now, but but kind of going forward. I don't I don't know. Um, we'll talk about that here in just a second. But real quick, want to tell you about one of our oldest sponsors. You know them, the Denver Rubber Company. Blades that can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your expectations. They're family-owned, locally-owned business since 1972, and they've just been a, a great, great partner of, uh, of ours. Any type of that custom work you're looking to do, they can get it done, uh, and they are big Colorado Avalanche fans, so they're suffering just like all of us are without our sports. So if you need any of the work done uh, for anything they have, check out drcfirst.com slash dnvr or call them 1-800-259-0010. We've gotten several good reviews from this company. So guys, this isn't my wheelhouse, clearly, as you can tell from this read. But if you are somebody that is in the, in, the, in need of custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, um, any type of custom manufacturing, custom hoses, that's your company, 1-800-259-0010. Um, how do you think this season, whether it continues in June, I, I guess let's first start out because I, I feel somewhat pessimistic about the chances that the, the league returns this year. I hope I'm wrong. I'm, I'm keeping my mind open to all of it, but I'm pessimistic. But if, if it is over, how do you think that affects Denver's offseason plans? Like, how do they approach the offseason? Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., whether to make a big shakeup. Do you feel like they would – I mean, you sound like you feel pretty certain that they're going to make some moves, but do you think it makes it harder to do that when you haven't seen how this team performs in the clutch? I think it definitely makes it harder, but I'm not sure how much – I mean, of course – whether or not the playoffs are played makes a huge impact on like what they actually know. But I'm imagining right now, and I only base this on, you know, speculation. I have no information about it, but I imagine they're already looking at Jeremy Grant as their number one priority in the off season. Yeah. As their, you know, power forward of the future and getting him re-signed, assuming, you know, that won't, you know, <laughs> be a maximum contract or something ridiculous like that, you know, that they can get a reasonably fair deal on him. Um, although Connolly has tended to overpay, but, um, you know, I think that's probably almost no matter what would happen if the season were played out, I think that would remain their number one priority. Probably. I'm mm-hmm. only guessing, but, um, so, you know, and then it kind of, that's the first domino. And then, see from there what happens with Millsap and Plumley, But um, I don't imagine, you know, there, because Millsap and Plumley are very much known quantities, I think there's less doubt around that whole uh, big man situation. Mm. It's the Porter situation and, you know, collectively Porter and Craig and Barton and Harris, um, those four specifically, I think, who, uh, you know, there's a lot more question marks around. And that, I think, might be, more heavily influenced by you know whatever outcome happens with the suspension what's crazy is that it wouldn't just affect denver i mean this would be an entire nba i mean it's funny to think about denver and like oh what would they do they don't have enough info but what team does have enough info right now to go into an offseason i think there's a lot what would the utah jazz make of their roster that they've put all this work into assembling do they know for a fact it's not good enough you know they'd have to make some tough decisions i think even looking at Portland, I know they wanted to get a look at Nurkic back healthy. I mean, there's just so many teams that would go into this offseason and be like, we have no idea what we have, guys. There's just no way of us knowing do we need to hold it together or blow it up. And I think it would yeah, make for could, an insane offseason. lead into a very inactive offseason. 
It could. A lot, a lot of teams afraid to pull the trigger on any major moves because there's just that much uncertainty. Uh, that would not be a surprise to me. So I, far be it from me to be the you know sort of like LeBron apologist or whatever, but I do look at this and I think, and and some of this was by his own making, but you know he had those terrible teams in Cleveland, what I believe to be terrible teams, and maybe he helped build some of that with the way he, you know, forced his friends to get to write on charters and had so much input on the organization. Maybe he made his own bed there, but you know you go to Miami, you get a couple, you go back to Cleveland, and you sort of single handedly build this super team right at the exact time maybe the greatest team of all time gets assembled. And so you miss out there. And now I think the Lakers were the favorites to win the title this year. And there might not even be a title. And I just sit back and think like LeBron has brought some of this on himself, but he's kind of also had an unlucky career. This is some of the things that have happened to him at his peak. Yeah. I, I have a hard time mustering up too much. sympathy. <laughs> well, sure. Um, <laughs> but that, I mean, <laughs> Definitely, this was his chance to cement his legacy with that, you know, at least one more ring. Especially with the Lakers, I, I, as big as they yeah. are. I mean, you just went over half of the NBA fan base by winning for the Lakers. If we have no championship this season, he's one year older yeah. next year. Who knows what happens with the rest of that roster? Um, like, yeah. The chance that they will be as strong a year from now as they are right now, I think, is minimal, you know, just yeah. given how much flux there is in the NBA um, and just how many other great teams there are out there. It's hard to sustain greatness harder than ever these days. Yeah. You know, as we see with the championship, like, I, I doubt we'll ever see another Bulls, you know, that has, what was it, six championships in eight seasons? Right. Yeah. Like that's done. That's never going to happen again. Um, there's too much player movement. There's too much flux, you know, all around the league. So there's too much money too. I think I really believe that because in a weird way, and we just talked about the the Bulls and how they all made the same. It's it's weird in a weird way. It's like oh yeah, we have Michael and everybody knows he deserves all that money and he makes it because he not only is he great but he also brings the audience or whatever. And then everybody else is like yeah, you know we're all kind of the same like. It, even though it wasn't yeah. true, like Scotty was great, and, and you know Rodman or whatever, but all of them to be kind of there, I think it almost, in a weird way, makes it easier to accept. Whereas, you know, th- there was really weird things about Kevin Durant not feeling appreciated enough on a team that won all of those games and back-to-back championships, and you just think, like, man, if you can't be happy in those situations where every arena in the world is cheering for you and you're winning titles, like, if you can't be happy there, then that to me, that's the difference. I think you can get, especially in your big markets, you can get teams to stay together for five, six, seven years if guys could just be happy with success. But they can't. For whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like that's the the part that can be sustainable. Yeah, and you look at, like, Kevin Love or even Jordan McRae. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we have to just acknowledge that success means different things to different players. And for a lot of players, winning championships isn't the most important priority. And getting paid is. And, hey, if I was in their situation, I can't say that I would not be in the same boat. The Jordan McCrays you know, of the world are, are their types own. Of, uh, types of decisions that I will never have the luxury of yeah, having to real. face. But, um, you know, so it's hard for me to knock someone like Jordan McCray for wanting to be on a less competitive team so that he has a chance to make more money. 
Well, for him especially, because you know he's a guy that didn't make it yet, and he's made some money. Let's not pretend he's poor, but he's he hadn't made that big contract yet, and so being on the worst team in in Washington or one of the worst teams and getting the ball out and show out and be like, okay, I'm getting a contract and getting traded to Denver. And they're like, yo, we just need you to buy in, man. Like why? I don't get anything out of buying in. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I think for him, he's a little different. Kevin Love is the, is an interesting one because, you know, he did sign the extension. He, he committed, he knew what he was signing up for when he stayed there. So to me, maybe it's a little bit less hard to have sympathy for a guy like that. But um, for Jordan McCray, at least I understand it. That's a really tough spot to be in. Um, I'm just saying, like, I think we should probably be anticipating in the future that we'll see a little bit more Kevin Love and maybe a little bit less like uh, Draymond Green. You know, these uh, Warriors guys who have kind of, you know, they've made a little bit of personal sacrifice to stay on a contender. Um, well, I also wonder about that in this one way. Golden State is infamous for making money or being in, having the players be in position to make money outside of basketball. Kevin Durant has an empire. The same way LeBron has a media empire, Kevin Durant has a Silicon Valley empire that was you know, grown by him being there. So I think guys like Draymond and Steph and Katie, it's easy to say, oh, I'll sacrifice a little bit of money when you're making 10 times the amount of money off the court just for being there. Same with LeBron. You know, I think on principle he doesn't want to forfeit money because he went to battle with the owners over over you know how much guys can get paid. So on principle he can't. But the truth is he's going to make more money selling sneakers and jerseys and movies and everything else he has going on that required him to be in L.A. So I think that's yeah. the weird thing. If we want to feel bad for somebody though, another one to feel bad for is Milwaukee Bucks fans because the Bucks fans are uh. the spiritual sisters of the Denver Nuggets in that they're small market. It's almost impossible for them to be good. They hit on this international guy that nobody knows late in the draft, or at least you know middle of the front first round for in their case, and they really had a chance this year to do it. Can you imagine? Like this year, I think Nuggets fans all kind of know if they were to win a championship, it'd be like okay, that was a miracle, whatever. We were all had of hope, but not really. The Bucks really did have hope. This was like the best, maybe the best chance they've ever had for a lot of people's lifetime since Kareem, and for them to be like, we don't even get to see it. That's got to be a blow. Uh, I can't even imagine. Um, the collective brain of Nuggets Nation would explode right now if Denver was in the <laughs> same situation, for sure. So I can only imagine that Bucks fans must be agonizing. So Nuggets, like right now, we're kind of like hot and cold on it, at least when the season ended. But can you imagine if they were on pace for 70 wins? Like 70 or 68, even 67, you just be like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. Every night you go to the arena, you just know you're going to sm- not just win, but smack somebody. And and then just for it to be cut off, that that, that is definitely brutal. Um, if the league comes back in June, what's it look like? Because I've been through a couple different lockouts. I remember when guys abruptly are supposed to come back, and it's terrible basketball. Don't you kind of get the sense if this comes back in June and there's a five-game tune-up and then the playoffs, it's going to be the grossest, worst basketball ever? Probably. I, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I, I imagine you're right. And, uh, you know, like especially the lower-rung teams, like yeah. what do they have to play for? I mean, like, are, are we just going to voluntarily just make idiots of ourselves? Like, Oh yeah, totally. They're basically just fodder for like priming the pump for the playoffs, right? Oh, totally. uh, Unless you know, I did hear. uh, I think it was uh, Hollinger and Duncan discussing like maybe a play-in tournament for the lower teams for the eighth seed or something like that, just to give them 
some kind of, you know, invested reason to play for. But even that, I mean, just to get, you know, blown out by the Lakers or Bucks, um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's probably going to be a mess. Yeah. I mean, but no, no matter what happens, it's going to be a mess. So we're, we're just in a messy situation. But We'd welcome you know, I, the I mess that the includes hand, basketball. Like, I would rather watch bad basketball than no basketball. <laughs> exactly. So if they can resume the season, e- even with no regular season, if they just jump straight into the playoffs, you know, whatever. Yeah. If any of it can be salvaged, then I think that will be a welcome outcome, considering the alternatives. Who's your favorite Nuggets player all time? All time? Wow, that's a tough question, but I think I might have to go with Jokic, man. Yeah. You've I been mean, through a lot I, of I eras. To Carmelo Anthony, um, who, you know, his relationship with the Denver Nuggets is complicated, and I don't want to, you know, get into like trashing him for the decisions that he made. But for my part specifically, you know, I came here in '96 to Japan, and at that time there basically was no internet in terms of, you know, people actually using it a lot. Right. That kind of happened over the next several years. And it was him getting drafted in 2003 that kind of re- really rekindled my Nuggets fandom. Yeah. At the same time, the internet was coming into its own. And I was able to, you know, start reconnecting with that. Um, like, there was just a spattering of NBA games on TV here in Japan, you know, when I was first here. So I almost couldn't watch it at all. Right. So, uh you know, things kind of converged in a nice way in that regard. And Melo put the Nuggets back on the map. You know, he really re-injected life into the whole franchise. And, you know, regardless of the downsides of everything that ended up happening, um, you know, I do have to give him some appreciation for, you know, re-sparking my own Nuggets fandom. And I think that of probably most of the people my age and upward who are fans now who, you know, who are not the Jeff Mortons of this world, who, <laughs> you know, who toughed it out through the dark days. But, um, you know, I think... Uh, Jeff waxes po- uh, poetic a lot about some of the early 90s teams, but I have never once heard him wax poetic about the 2001 or 2002. <laughs> so I don't think even Jeff was enjoying that era of Nuggets basketball. Yeah, that Juwan Howard stuff, you know, that was <laughs> that was a pretty rough time. But uh, and not, nothing against him, but, you know, like... Tim Hardaway Those throwing just... a TV screen. That was like the uh, highlight of a season. I mean, there were like some of the highlights <laughs> of a season were like misery. And it's like, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And the whole Issel thing. Oh, yeah. Let's not even go there. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do have to say, though, I mean, I just adore Nikola Jokic. He's just. no Nobody's more fun to watch, you know? Yeah. Even when he's disinterested and stuff, he just still does crazy weird things like i I like weirdness (laughs) and uh he brings it almost every game i i will say this is what year five with with joker now i i will say especially this last game or this last couple games where it was like the milwaukee one where he was just so checked out like at a certain point i do think it's gonna wear on me (laughs) and i'm not there yet because the highs are so high and honestly they are fewer and far between but there are some moments where you're just like you know in today's day and era you're you kind of always talking up a guy and like oh no this guy really is good and he should be in the mvp conversation and this or that and then some nights he goes out there and you're like yeah but not tonight no, don't, don't, ignore tonight because he wasn't trying and it, it does get a little trying but sometimes that's yeah, what I you think, get yeah I, I think the nuggets need an alpha 
And I think Jamal Murray wants to be it. I'm not sure if he is. Um, he's still so young. He, yeah. he may have a chance to grow into that. But, you know, like, you know, when there was talk of the Nuggets trying to go after uh, Jimmy Butler, whether that was, you know, mostly fan talk or not. But um, I was not a fan of bringing Jimmy Butler specifically in because, you know, all the uh, baggage that comes with him. But yeah. I think Jokic needs... Jokic will never be an alpha-style leader. You know, he just won't. It's not in his DNA. And I think the Nuggets need someone to accompany him who will assume that part of the leadership role. Mm. And, you know, maybe kind of help to light a spark under him. I you definitely know, think that part's true. on a comparable level of his talent who, you know... I, I don't have many criticisms of Jokic outside of effort, but I will say that, you know... I think he may look down a little bit on some teammates occasionally. Oh, no doubt about it. In terms of not wanting to play with some guys as much as others. And, uh, you know, maybe having someone who's roughly as good as him on the team who's more of a that, you know, real alpha dog leader type personality saying, hey, get with it, man. <laughs> you know, just kind of lighting a spark under him and pushing him a little bit more would benefit him. Um, I think – a Lillard type or like a Chris Paul type to me, and I'm not saying those guys, but the thing about both of them is they yeah. are so willing to assume that role that you're talking about. And I could see in both instances, both of those guys agreeing to play through Jokic. Like, oh no, this is our guy. This is who we play through. Like, got to feed the big man. But then taking on the other parts of it that Jokic wants no part of, as you mentioned, the like, you know, calling Jokic out and calling other guys out or just being, you know, uplifting, whatever it is. And so to me, there are a few players that are like that. The problem with Jimmy Butler is I don't think he is. I think you have to get the ego with the leadership or whatever. But right. so there's very. I but think I most think players are the yeah, other type. Lillard and Chris Paul and uh, you know I, I think again Jamal Murray wants to be that, but I think you just have to be a better player than he has been yeah. so far. Which doesn't mean he can't get there. Right. But you know, I think for Jokic to take it seriously, he would need <laughs> an equal. Yeah, basically, I think that's a great way to put it. And it's funny when people hear that. I think a lot of times, especially the diehard Jokic fans, would be like, "Man, you guys are underselling Jokic." And I always look and say, "LeBron needs Anthony Davis, guys. <laughs> like <laughs> all these champions, every every team that's good needs the second guy. That's like, oh yeah, he's also a top fifteen guy. I mean, just that's what it takes now. So people, LeBron always, needed Dwayne Wade before him, and and Dwayne Wade might be a great example of what you're talking about because LeBron was by far better than Dwayne Wade in my opinion. But Dwayne Wade was what you're talking about. Like LeBron hadn't learned those lessons yet. I think even now he he's a little weird. Of that team. Right. And like when he was the fire, he was the passion, he was the motivator. Um, and that's you know, that's something that Denver kind of lacks. You know, Will Barton tries to be it sometimes, Jamal Murray tries to be it sometimes, but you know, the the closest guy who could do that is Paul Millsap, but he's just not that guy. He's a, He's not that guy either, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think I, I I hate to say it because I've sort of always I'm not fully there. I think Yoke's also young. I think there's one of the dynamics I'm kind of kicking around in my head is that Malone is so much that guy in a way that I wonder if it stunts that part of Jokic's growth. I mean, Malone wants to be the guy that's always saying this and doing that. And I wonder if part of this is like, you know what? Phil Jackson was the master of this. 
of like sometimes he would just fade into the background. It's like, no, you guys now have, and you get mad and like, why isn't he doing this or why is he? It's like, no, because you guys don't understand. You have to figure this out. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that with Yoke. But at the end of the day, we are. I think we saw some of that with Nick Nurse last season and this season for that matter. But uh, you know, where did Fred Van Fleet come from? Right. You know, he he became a leader in the playoff run last year, Um, and that maybe partly because he had the space to grow into that, um, which might <laughs> circle us back around to Michael Porter. Yeah, totally. Nick Nurse is such an interesting one. The um, the sort of like willingness to allow, like the trust and faith in the group to figure it out over, you know, there's this thing about leadership, about the willingness to step up, but there's also the secondary part of it of the willingness to step back. And it seems like from everything I've read and seen and heard from him, he just somehow strikes that perfect balance between st- stepping into that role when it's needed and stepping out of it when other people are needed to figure it out for themselves. And uh, I definitely think there probably is something to that. But at the same time, let's not bail Jokic out. He's had five years to kind of put this together. And as great as he has been at so many different things and grown in so many different levels, including his body, um, that's still one area he just qu- hasn't quite made enough progress on. But yeah, I, I, I give him a little bit of slack for it just because – he was as surprised as everybody else that he became the player he is, I think. Oh, I you know, think he so, was, too. Like, Le- LeBron was getting prepped for this from the time he was in elementary school, pretty much. You know, yeah. um, like Jokic kind of fell in backwards to this role of being the best player on an NBA team. And, uh, you know, that his mind and maturation might take a little time to catch up with having gotten there. Um Shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No questions asked. Well, Joel, this is fun. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Go for it. Do you think Michael Malone is the Nuggets' Mark Jackson? Yeah, you know, I, you know, what's funny is I hear that more fans like whenever you hear you you would say that publicly, which I don't think I've ever said, or you know. It's such a hot take, and I think when you say it, the instant reaction is, "Oh, this is crazy," or whatever, and. I've heard that so much from scouts and just people around the league, you know, just different people around the league. And I've also heard that he's the best coach and fantastic and this or that. But I'm just saying that I think when you say, oh, I heard someone say that, people will think like, oh, some fan, some hot take or this or that. Like, you, it is a take that I've heard from a lot of different, you know, high-level analysts. My personal opinion on it is that I think Malone, like the rest of this Nuggets team, has grown and, and has, he's done so many incredible things. But just like Jokic, he too has to grow. And this year, I think in a lot of ways, was his most disappointing to me personally because I felt like some of the things that have tripped him up as a coach over the years, his temper, um, being a little too traditional, wanting too much control over the team, not enough creativity with certain things, like those things to me almost took a step back, it seemed, this year. And um, so, so yeah, for if me. If you had I- asked me in December, I probably would have pretty confidently said no. Right now, I feel a little more doubt. Yeah. Which is not to say, you know, like, he, like Jokic, you know, still has plenty of room to grow. And uh, and he's also shown the propensity for doing so, to his credit. Um, maybe not as much this season, but, you know, cutting Nurkic loose back then, that was a pretty controversial move. Um, yeah. You know, having to go back, back that far for an example may not be the... Uh, most ideal situation, but 
In any case, it sounded like you were wrapping it up. So No, no, no. Well, I was going to say personal responsibility is an interesting thing because it can be a double-edged sword in these ones because part of me looks at the Nurkic situation and says, look, Nurkic didn't have it. He quit on the team. He wasn't tough enough. But And like you can't save guys. You can't hold their hand and bring them along. The flip side of that is me as a leader, if I have somebody under me that doesn't perform, I as much as I like try to, you know, hey, this is your job. You got to do it, whatever. The flip side of me is also asking like, how do I get the most out? How do I motivate this person? How do I get them to be where they want to be? And that's the part that I wonder about Michael Malone is I do feel like he makes the decisions on guys and that might be Wancho and Gomez, Malik Beasley, Yusef Nurkic. And he's like, oh, those guys don't do this. And it's like, yeah, but they have other talents. How do you get them to do the thing? Like, how do you trick them into it or bring them along or grow them or whatever it is? And um, But the one thing I'll say about coaching, the more I'm allowed in this league, the more I realize how little I actually know about what they do, what their thought process is, and what they have. I mean, there's a million different things a coach has to think about. We think about substitution patterns and you know things like that a lot, but that's one of like a hundred things they're thinking about on a game night. And um, you know, so I miss the entire coaching staff with all of their input and so much, it's a so complex much situation. We can really just look at it from the top down and I would say Malone has a lot of lessons I think he has to learn just as quickly as the rest of the Nuggets have to learn their lessons. Um maybe 6 7 months off will do wonders for Michael Malone. I mean, I yeah, wonder... you know, I was I am not sure this is a really difficult thing to write about because I don't want to be insensitive to the you know, this is a messed up situation with the whole coronavirus thing and I don't want to be looking at silver linings too much <laughs> in a way. Okay. Um, but I think the suspension might be good for Michael Porter Jr. Really? Maybe. Like, I mean, you know, things were looking like they could be moving in a potentially ugly direction there. Yeah. Just putting the brakes on that, giving everyone time to take a deep breath and uh, step away from the situation for a while, get a fresh start whenever they come back. Yeah. Um, I think that could be beneficial. So there, there may be, you know, like the Nuggets have a lot less to lose than the Bucks and Lakers. Right. Um, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, the stakes of winning. Right. They, they weren't going to win the championship this year. I mean, that's pretty clear to me. Yeah. It would have taken a miracle. It's, a real Cinderella run. <laughs> Which doesn't happen in the NBA too often. Maybe for one extra round, but not like... I, I think if they would have made it to the Western Conference Finals, it would have been a Cinderella run. Yeah, that that would have been the bar for success, you know, for me on this season is just reaching the Western Conference Finals. And that, you know, that gets them one stage further than they got last season. And uh, that's about all you could ask for, I think. Yeah, totally. Well, Joel, people don't realize we never talked before. We'd known each other online for six years now, five, six years. And yeah, it, it was... this is my very first podcast. I've never done one of these before. That's so wild to me. That's I'm so glad that I, I found out that detail now. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun talking to you. I thought it was funny when I wrote you, and I, I guess I'm sharing some secrets here, but I thought it was funny when you said you were a little bit nervous, and I didn't know why. I thought maybe because of the moment in time or whatever, but um, I didn't realize it was your first podcast. You, you, you were a phenomenal guest. <laughs> And what's what's the expression like? Someone has a face made for radio. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I have a voice made for whatever goes in the blank for, there, but, for uh, writing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, a voice made for writing. That's the perfect way to put it. But but also, I just want to you know compliment you on your whole podcasting career. I guess I would say because you know citing the Will Barton uh, double feature there as 
I think maybe the pinnacle of the work you've done. It's just, you know, I think you've actually kind of single-handedly changed the Nuggets podcasting game in many ways, and it's been uh, great to, you know, I've enjoyed listening to it, and it's been great to just see the whole kind of landscape change over the past few years, so I feel uh, somewhat honored to be even here speaking to you, so. Joel, that is is a a top five compliment somebody has ever given me, so I think you overshot maybe what you were aiming for, but it really, really means a lot, especially coming from from you, somebody that's been in this game for so long and has kind of seen the whole evolution of the whole landscape, which is quite different now than it was, I'm sure, when you started. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. So everybody check him out. An OG here, Joel Rush. I'll have the description in the uh, uh, or his handle, his Twitter handle in the description of the show. Hopefully you're following him already. Um, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to be back all week, guys, uh, providing new coverage. Um, so we'll see you then.